This episode is part of our series discussing the debate topics released for Debatable Open 2021. The motions can be found in the description along with timestamps for your convenience. Please enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Debatable. For this episode, we're joined by Albert Fangunsan. Albert is an Asian Octo finalist, he's a national semi-finalist, and was the best judge of the recent Luzon InterVarsity. Hi Albert, thanks so much for Hello. being here. Talk to us. Talk to Hi. Us. Hi, thank you for being here. Hello. So Albert contributed to the Philippine set, um, if you all remember, um, as listeners of this episode. And I wanted to ask, just to get the ball rolling, because a lot of people are usually intimidated by the Philippine set in general, especially international participants who might not know anything about the Philippines because they think it's only about having a lot of matter. So what advice would you give these debaters the next time that they encounter a set about the Philippines? Oh, all right. Yeah, I totally understand where people come from when they feel intimidated by it. Uh, I, I, and I just want to address it first. Um, we've talked about this with my friends. So Tris and I talked about this and we realized that uh, the reason why people get intimidated by Philippine motions is because to some extent, it's like econ or IR in a way that you need to have some specialized idea about it. Like you need to read journals or PDFs or things that you read in college. So those things are pretty boring for the general population and general people who debate. So uh, I think I would suggest if um, for them to not feel intimidated about it, uh, for Filipinos, I think we have a lot of street knowledge about the things that we discuss in debate, if it's a Philippine motion. So even if you just scroll through Twitter or Facebook, you would see a commentary from a family friend or from a college classmate. So I think that's already pretty sufficient for you to build on premises for the arguments that you want to build in a round. Um, I think for for foreigners and Filipinos in general, we're a bit lucky right now compared to the past generations because I think many online platforms like Rappler and um, Inquirer and and Esquire, for example, these three platforms have been very aggressive in talking cultural issues and political issues in the Philippines. Although they're not that as... um, They're not that as rigid or rigorous i mean rigorous not rigid but not as rigorous as as the pieces that we that we read about abroad or in the western hemisphere i think um they're they're good introductions to the things that we want to discuss because medyo anyway and and i also notice chairs and i it's not our fault as filipino debaters if we don't know much about it actually it's it's this lack of media coverage that's comprehensive and substantive on the issues that we experience every day. So parang it goes back to how our media reports because we always refer to them when we debate them. Right? So I think um, you consult those uh, media platforms and then you have Spotify then. I think generally the people who listen to Debatable have Spotify. So Spotify has Rappler. Rappler has really... Uh, a lot of good podcasts that really nuance the issues. Although we know that um, Rappler is a bit of um, into advocacy journalism, we know that they have a bias for progressive and liberal issues. 
they 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 are a bit objective in uh, discussing this issue. So um, you can really build a lot of pretty good cases with with listening to those podcasts and just listen and reading material online. And I think last thing na lang, yung inquire opinion and rappler opinion has really a lot of good insight from experts and people who are part of the establishment. So you can also read that once in a while and then use that for debate. Because I think the general trend now is that um, more people are are including Philippine set of motions in their in, in debate tournaments. So I think they should also watch that um, out. What I appreciate what I appreciate from the podcasts by Rappler, because I do listen to them intently actually, is that they do start off with like things that most people already know and then mm. try to have a deep dive into it. So the their one of their recent um episodes was about environmentalism and climate justice and how mm-hmm. the Philippines um the Philippine system, legal system tries to get um climate justice. Um which is something that everyone already knows about because of, you know, the typhoons that are happening. But I feel and I appreciate that um, at least for Rappler and their podcast, they try to like dive deeper into it. So I guess a good starting point is something that we all know about. And it's just a matter of digging deeper into like the nooks and crannies of how things work, which brings us to the first, I feel, um, motion in the set, which is something that most of us in some way or another are affected by per- on a personal level which is about um, the export of labor. Um, it, the motion is about gradually decreasing the annual export of labor until it's completely abolished. Um, we already know that we have like OFWs and we call them our new Bayanis and stuff like that. But in this motion part- in particular, what recent event or situation inspired this motion for you? Oh, all right. So I think uh, there are two reasons why I included this in this set. Because in the middle of the pandemic, um, Duterte and the Department of Health said, "Now, oh, we will stop like um, sending out uh, Filipino nurses and other medical professionals abroad." So that created a lot of of negative reception from the public. And their main reason was that we need to find money, and we need to find um, job opportunities that offer us um, also hazard pay and a lot of benefits because um, a lot of people still saw their lives abroad so parang there were people who went back here but um, who have plans to return again so um, my relatives they recently resigned or they got like laid off from from um, jobs abroad but they still plan to go back because they don't see themselves like um, settling here for now um, I think the second reason why I, I integrated it into this set is because um, even if you don't have any any matter on the labor export policy, what you would have to do is you would have to hugot or you would have to go back to the experiences that you have with your relatives. Because I, I think regardless of what socioeconomic class that we are we come from at least one relative has worked abroad or plans to work abroad. So it really gives us insight into the lives that we have every day and the choices that we make. So somehow it makes us reflect that our our decisions aren't like 
just individually made. They're like influenced by this big government policy that I didn't know exist like until two years ago. So I think yun. But sidetrack then, I think the reason why I, I was inspired to put this here is because I just started watching the Claudine Barreto movies. And a lot of those movies um, have to do something with OFWs. So yon. So magandang insight lang siya na kahit newbie or experienced debater ka, may masasabi ka dito. Or you can say something about it. So yon. Yeah, that, that's the reason why I included it. How do you imagine government bench to set up this motion? Like, do you have a percentage in mind? Would you leave that up to the debate as well? Just like, how do you mechanize it? Because in the Philippine circuit, we're very big on mechanization, especially with respect to policies. Um, so how would this work? Because Like when I first read the motion, I also had that kind of um, question in my mind um, because as mm-hmm. far as I was concerned, the choice to leave or come back to the Philippines in order to work or to find work abroad, it's a personal decision that just so happens mm-hmm. to be regulated a little bit by the state. So how would government try to go about mechanizing the gradual decrease? Oh, all right. So having like five to percent lesser quotas for people being sent out abroad so that means that the government should stop like subsidizing uh recruitment agencies or stop subsidizing the the free recruitment fees of these people because the one of the biggest reasons why people actually feel that they would want to go abroad is because the government has policies and has like um, programs that really encourage people to go out of, of the country. So I think OWA and POEA should be the focal point institutions in this debate so that if you want a really nuanced debate, you can like talk about how the OWA and POEA, POEA should um, like gradually stop cutting their man for their workforce or they should gradually also stop these programs that really encourage people to go out. So that means like subsidy for programs. Um, the second thing I would also say is that um, you would also have to first target yung mga export of labor that's not like the very big mass of people that really go out. So you can talk about non-essential labor. So you can talk about the service sector. We would have, we would discourage people who, who work in the hospitality management or hotel industry to go out. We discourage people who work as um, janitor or, or construction workers to go out because I think that these are the huge chunk of people that leave right now but also have the inability to find jobs um, agad outside. So parang these people are also a brunt of the problem that the government faces if they can't j- find a job abroad. So they just quickly return to the Philippines after a month or two months. So it's just a waste of money for the government. So parang targeted shine away in the first two years to target these segments of, of individuals. But eventually you should also would want to target um like a medical field. You'd also target um the professional field of engineering, architecture, because there are also huge chunks of people leaving. Um Event, and also, the third thing I would also do is that you would have to have welfare programs that complement the, the taking away of subsidies in these areas. Because if you take away subsidies in these areas, you would have a huge chunk of money that you would have to invest somewhere. So I think that gives leeway for government to talk about how it can lead to the creation of industries here. And pala, last thing, 
um if the concern is policy here um tesla also we could also talk about how tesla would gradually also stop giving uh free technical courses that are geared towards foreign employment it's because i think a huge chunk of why people are really encouraged to leave is because libre naman yung educational services ng tesla and that's where people will be focused more in getting university degrees and the government will be compelled to provide free education talaga in universities instead of like tech box skills so i think um policy wise ganon and um next um uh, the things that i think that could uh i think i think that's all that's how how i imagine this debate to work out so um the percentage thing couldn't wouldn't be dapat a very big issue talaga for me but if you would really want to do the gradual decrease and it's in the motion you could talk about 5 5% to 10% gradual decrease in subsidies and allowing people to freely go out you make it, the system harder for people to leave kasi requiring them more paper requiring them more um fees to shoulder really discourages people to leave especially the middle class and the poor class yun So I, I I like your discussion because I think it touched a lot on possible arguments already that can be run. For example, the creation of better industries and newer industries in the country, how you protect workers and how it compels governments to uh, provide as well. Um, besides that, what other arguments can you imagine government running in this debate? Would you involve other actors or, or would the primary focus be on the workers themselves? Oh yeah. So I think if if uh if if um if you want to make an extension out of it because you feel like the first speaker said everything what you could do is like talking talk about how the educational system is usually impacted by the labor export policy um and this doesn't really require much of us to to have matter because during yung yung lockdown a lot of people started talking about what the educational system is for they philosophize about that apparently you don't want to just work where people where human beings and stuff like that so i think in relation to that uh, instead of educating people to become citizens of the country to to become citizens with liberal mindsets to think about uh to think about things that are beyond work Um, the current system, what it does is that people are encouraged and persuaded to think about being internationally competent, to have um, 21st century skills and all of that stuff with the end goal of becoming um, labor export. So um, government could say is that if we gradually decrease it, then our education system would have to be largely reframed or overhauled in the process because we would now have a different set of priorities Um, so I think that that's why right now the current setup is um, they prioritize STEM and they prioritize um, hospitality management courses and stuff like and tech box because it's a huge chunk of people like who would likely leave right. Um, the second thing I would also talk about is that um, the government is discouraged to is 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 encouraged to develop manufacturing sectors and local industries absence the labor export policy because currently right now a huge chunk of our economy around 40 to 50 percent i think is um the service industry and that is usually fueled by local demands and consumption na galing din abroad through remittances 
um the people use yung money na yon to buy stuff so parang hugely service sector tayo but once that we have a huge chunk of people who are staying here the government is forced to create industries that really um respond to their demands and a huge chunk of studies actually locally and also abroad point to the uh, labor expert policy as a build culprit as to why the government has largely abandoned their responsibility to really radically develop um, local industries because they say na you know naman you can export it uh, i think the last thing is you could also talk about um the policy makes the government dependent on remittances also so this is related to the argument kanina so now um the government is has to be a more conservative in spending or to focus in in, in developing industries that really employ people on the ground because the amount of remittances that come in actually like really encourage them to not really prioritize having more fbis because um second to fbis yung remittances yung pinaka biggest chunk of money coming abroad and that really fuel our economy. So absence remittances or lesser number of remittances really forces the government to look into allowing for more foreign investors to come in that really want to develop the economy and have sustainable industries here. So generally, parang the whole argument is all about um, yun, yung, yung, yung overhaul of the systems that are in place. I think, I think that's, that's for government. Uh, you can cover all of that. So I think it's interesting because a lot of those arguments, at least in my opinion, could also be flipped on its head. So you yeah, could argue yeah, yeah. Um, that prioritizing, for example, STEM is a good thing and that we should keep doing that. So if you were in the side of opposition, how would you spin the arguments that you provided and what other arguments do you think opposition should run? Mm, all right. So yeah, that's a that's a very, very good uh, um that's a very good uh, point to talk about for opposition side because it's true you can flip all of that. Um, I would also say, I would say in opposition side that the amount of remittances received in the country is crucial to sustain the economy. So, parang a huge chunk of our population really rely on remittances. So, if there's a gra- even a gradual shift to an economy that's not dependent on remittances anymore, really hits the 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 economic health of these many families that send their kids to school who have to pay maintenance um, drugs for their for their relatives and who also happen to run businesses who rely on remittances or rely on people working abroad to to run the business so parang if, if you take away the biggest second biggest source of foreign funding in the country you th- you also like somehow affect the economy as a whole which makes it difficult for the government to like really address um, people's economic needs because currently right now our, our system is not really suited for something that's that's um, that, that addresses the local needs of the people but um, also um, you could also argue in opposition side that labor is not different from the other goods that are exported you could say that labor is also like skills or services that you export abroad like the BPO industry is literally like a labor export policy, but you just have people staying here, right? So you could say that it's a bit unfair that we limit our capacity 
to just like selling goods um, or uh, exporting goods, especially if agricultural products right now are becoming a lot more scarce because people naturally just would want to use agricultural products here because uh, like export them because anyway, talo naman yung goods nila versus other goods abroad. And at the same time, I think the the number of lands that are available for agriculture produce must lumili every year. So it's better that we export our labor instead of like export goods when anyway we can't really like um, perpetually um, produce those goods and compete with other markets. At least our labor is the most competitive with regards to um, classification of what goods are the best and which goods are the most competitive in the market. Um, I think you could, you could also say is that third, um, given that it is true that the service sector is the biggest industry then, and part of the new educational system, if the educational system has to also gradually change in the process, that puts a lot of, of employment, a lot of professions affected in the process. These people are, are, are set up to think that this is what the education system is all about, like labor is the end goal. And anyway, what's bad, what, what, what bad with an educational system that's geared towards employment? Because anyway, that's the practical and most urgent need of people that we have right now. So I think that's something that you could say na it will usually affect our service sector, which isn't like really sustainable currently. So it's better that we allow people to organically think and believe that it's better to stay here and make it an individual choice and just let the policy stay there for like next two decades. Because the trend right now is um, Gen Z, a huge chunk of the middle class that has been created by the labor export policy are now less likely to actually go abroad because they really see themselves like working here and their parents um, usually like discourage them to work abroad because anyway, it's it, that they they worked hard. So why go abroad again? So I think um, din ang shift um, in, in, in the perspective. But also other arguments that you can run is that uh, yun, yung argument that helps alleviate poverty but it also allows transfer of skills and expertise, which are much needed by both countries. So we have perspectives that the U.S. might not have that they might like really need, or U.S. has has perspectives that we need as a country. So parang a huge chunk of OFWs really ex, uh, export a lot of ideas, not only goods that they have there with them, and they bring them with uh, them here kapag umuwi sila. So which also has benefited our economy in a lot of sense because it has spurred a lot of local businesses spurring up. So we now have like a large set of shawarma, kiosks, um, Thai food everywhere. We also have Indian food. It's because of these Filipinos coming back and bringing that with them. And also, so um, it's totally fine that we have this and it's totally fine that we export our labor because anyway, um, what's the difference with the other goods that we export where anyway, they're not like as competitive as the labor sector that we have here. I think we can move on to the next motion because I think that was a really good way to sort of wrap up the discussion on the first one. The second motion um, is about the 2022 elections where it's about the Philippine mm -hmm. progressives 
um, prioritizing winning local elections. Other people might say that it's too early for a motion about the elections because it's like it's still 2021. It's not going to happen for another year by the time that we release this episode. But in your opinion, what is the value of debating topics like this as early as now? All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a very good question. Um, Because uh, in reality, political parties and political blocs really start deciding how to move in 2022 as early as now. So one of the earliest markers talaga that 2022 has started was when Peter Alan Cayetano like, lost the House leadership position to Lord, uh, uh, Lord Velasco. Because that shows a shift in power and it gives like insight for people. Ano mangyayari sa 2022? The second big event that recently happened was Manny Pacquiao. So Manny Pacquiao becoming the, the head of the PDP Laban says a lot about where PDP Laban will be and who will be their standard bearers. But also thirdly, I think as early as now, we can already see some narratives popping up. We can see it also in Vice President Lenny Robredo's actions and, and her narrative that um, there are really a lot of people preparing for elections. That's why there's a lot of mudslinging as early as now. So the value of debating topics like this is that um, as I think as debaters, we are very influential in the digital platform and even like in Facebook and even in our households. So if we get to think about these things right now, we can start discussions then naman in schools, not only in just debate tournaments, but even in our households and our social circles to talk about what will our choices be like for 2022 because 2020, 2021 palang um, October, filing na ng candidacy ata. And recently, uh, Senator M. Marcos planned to like really, uh, she was found out to to really take away this important provision sa law that allowed us for procurement and safeguards for our electoral polling in our system. So parang that also signifies that a lot of people are already looking into 2022. So it's important we also talk about this because I, I believe, and, and this is really true, that debaters have really huge impact on how people think in our generation. So I think, yeah, that's why we, we need to talk about it right now and reflect on what will happen. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to raise, um, especially since we're recording this in December. And if you're listening to this episode, this is released around January. And I'm pretty sure a lot would have, have happened in that time. Um, even now, uh, it's once again the season to register to be a voter. It's also... I, I saw recently there were interviews already for Sarah Duterte. I think she might be running as well. Do you think she might be running? Not sure. No, uh, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. So she might be running for a position. So I, I guess, uh, personally, I also think it's never too early to discuss Philippine elections. But I guess the, ne- the next thing I want to ask, which is um, probably going to be a bit Uh, controversial for a lot of people would be who are the Philippine progressives really in this motion because I see a lot of hot takes on Twitter as to who are progressives and who aren't so for this motion in particular who do you imagine debaters talking about Mm, all right so I think uh, the the debate 
the debate definition of who a progressive is. And I think generally for people who are part of the uh, intellectual establishment, at least, would include people like Vice President Lenny Robredo, Mayor Vico Soto, um, and Sara Elago. So just to be clear, I think it's it's a very wide uh, wide sector to talk about. So even if like Liberal Party lang yung name nila, in spirit, Robredo is a progressive in the way that she does things, and also Vico Soto. So I think debaters would 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 think of these people agad, and I would also would want them to 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 talk about that. Because um, this is more of a personal take. I don't think that people should really tell us who progressives are and who aren't just because like, they disagree with their with the party that the other person is part of. Because like going back, um, this is like some matter. Um, the Philippine politics is really personality based, and it's very difficult for us to like really attack that at this point right now. So parang we could we could really talk about personalities muna dito, like Vico Soto. And to some extent, you can talk about the Makabayan block. But I, I wouldn't, I, I, the reason why I didn't really like focus on that because of the political climate that we are in right now. So parang yun, uh, the progressive thing could be really um, people who look anti-establishment or who would say, who do things that are very, the alternative or the opposite of whatever the people are in power are doing right now. All right. Um, so I guess the next question would be like why local elections particularly? And I think this is um, discussing already government arguments. So why exactly should the, the progressives focus on local elections as opposed to, let's say, the national elections? Oh, all right. So actually, just a bit of a background. I actually wanted to launch this motion like a year ago or like two years ago in a debate tournament that I, the people I consulted said that it, it doesn't make sense at that point in time. But the reason why, um, the reason why I, I wanted people to talk about this is because recently there were studies and there were also observations, not only in the Philippines, but also in the United States and even like, let's say in, the, in Europe, that there is a big divide between the cities and, and the rural areas. And you would see how rural people in the rural areas would vote. They would particularly lean right now towards the right wing or a more conservative wing of, of politics, while people in the cities would vote towards um, would vote for more liberal candidates. So um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because given that type of discussion then there needs there, there 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 must be some divide between the national and the local politics and in reality there is because nationally it's a very difficult for someone who let's say who doesn't have money to win in the elections like every in the debate community for example if someone wants to run they would need like millions of pesos for them to get a seat in the national elections so like that process really makes it difficult for a lot of people to bring a very absolutely progressive platform to the Senate or let's say to the House or to the presidency because they would have to make a lot of compromises. So, um, but also while local elections, it's a lot easier for you because you could just like rely on donations, you could like rely on, on like name recall, you can rely on 
you talking to people generally. So like the local elections thing affects actually a lot of people's lives a lot more as compared to in the national elections. And why is this the case? Because the local elections really discuss like social services, addressing poverty, um, giving healthcare to people, like um, addressing land tax or land um, disputes and stuff like that. The city government and the municipal government like does all of that stuff. While the national government just like really discusses you know, general policy, what the government will do. So parang that's an interesting point because right now, many, many Gen Z and many millennials and people in the debate community really focus on winning the national elections and the importance of the national elections in general. But the likes and narratives of um, Vico Soto, AOC, um, Lenny Robredo, we also have like Mayor Peep, these people really change the narrative that we really need to look into how people do local politics and grassroots organizing as compared to like focusing in the national elections. So parang that's one thing that I also, that I, I thought of na kailangan madiscuss natin. And I think if wala kang, like, discuss, wala kang matter here, you would automatically think na, oh nga, no, yung barangay captain really impacts our lives more than the president in general. Kasi mas na-interact mo palagi yung kagawad, yung barangay captain. So those people like have a big say on how police drug operations happen. As compared to like Duterte, yeah, he says like kill everyone. Pero who makes the nuance policies talaga or allows police officers to enter? It's the barangay captain, it's the mayor and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great point because even in even in our previous episode, we had a discussion with um, Nathan Nathan and Bianca Lacaba about the previous elections that we had. Um, we were also talking about barangays in the sense that for a lot of um, candidates in the Ocho Derecho slate, they weren't able to like campaign so much on the barangay level. Um, and that really trickled down in, in their eventual election results. And the reason why they couldn't campaign there was because um, they were like, some of them were afraid to even host um, opposition candidates in their barangays in fear of reprisal. But this is where I want to ask the next question, which is, if you were in opposition, as in opposition in this debate, okay, the opposition bench, what arguments would you run? What I would say in opposition side is that it's important that the national elections should still be like the focal point of the opposition, mainly because if you just focus on local elections, it would be very difficult for us to hold into account officials that earned in the national government if we don't focus on the national elections. But secondly, um, if you run and focus on the national elections, you would still be compelled to think about what do you do in the local politics or the local elections. Because national elections, like uh, as, as Kyle said, you know, people engaging with barangay captains, like hosting candidates, that really forces national candidates to really engage local politics. As compared to local politicians, you know, like, wala naman silang pake sa national elections. They just think about winning yung barangay nila or winning their village elections or winning their, their 
um, city elections or municipal elections. So national elections, focusing on it, even if you spread yourself too thinly, you cover a lot of parts and you're forced to engage with multiple individuals in the process. But the third thing you can also talk about in opposition side is that the current national narrative is, you know, it's okay to kill, 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 and build, 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 and, and respond to things that are happening in our surroundings. So the opposition also needs to come up with an alternative narrative on what they want and what their vision is. And even if, let's assume, at their best, um, government side wins. Kasi madali talagang manalo sa local elections. At least in opposition side, um, the opposition losing the national elections isn't like really a total loss. At least it just like forces people to like discuss, to talk about these issues, and to like force candidates that are most likely to win to also co-opt the opposition narratives because they would also want to win a huge chunk of people who still support the opposition. And I think uh, the fourth thing. This somewhat can be specialized matter. You need to like really like listen or read or at least know about how local how, how politics happen, which I feel like generally people started to know about this nung pandemic because a lot of funding ng mga barangay hindi na ibigay, even if the president was saying binigay na namin yung funding, the barangay is saying no, you didn't give us the funding. So the argument that opposition can run is that, you know, a huge chunk of the money that local uh, politicians spend actually come from the national government. And that's the reason why the local government code isn't that much effective with regards to fiscal decentralization. Or what that means is that yung distribution of funds, independent of whatever the national government thinks, doesn't exist. Because whoever is in power or whoever has a seat in the national government will most likely uh, favor you or you would have to like pander to them to get the funding that you would need for your city. So it's important for um, politicians to win the national elections because, you know, like if you're the president, you can do anything. You can, you can put money in this barangay one, two, three in Sulu or you can put this money in this like sketchy village who has a lot of drug uh, victims or dependents and like rehabilitate them as compared to local politicians who would have to like really pander and worship whoever wins in the national elections, which I feel like would be scary if, if, if it was someone uh, hindi ganun ka progressive or who just like does sports, diba? So parang yun. I, I like that you ended on a point on funding because I think it transitions perfectly to our third and last motion, which would be about corporations and their participation in rehabilitation of post-disaster areas. So we're talking about multinational and national corporations as well. Um, so what I wanted to ask about this motion is um, who are the actors involved and who do you think debaters should bring up? Because I think matter-wise, um, most debaters should know the context behind this motion. Um, it's about the recent typhoons and um, the rehabilitation efforts that a lot of people have been doing, both private and public sectors. Um, so who else do you think are involved and should be discussed? Oh, yeah. So I think the people that you can discuss here are, let's say, the local government unit. We can also talk about, um, to some extent, um, 
religious groups, NGOs, because they're also active in the post-disaster um, rehabilitation scenario. You can also talk about uh, local politicians. You can also talk about uh, um, governmental institutions. So the reason why um, this is, uh, all of them are like part of this motion is because of the fact that after a disaster, many people help, many people want to like take part in the discussion to how to rebuild something. And the inspiration actually for this was Yolanda. Um, so, yun, so, so Yolanda, Ayala, and many big corporations wanted to like rehabilitate these areas. And what happened ended up was like these areas became resorts instead of like being the towns that they were like fisher folk areas, like farming communities. So parang ganun. Um, I think they could like, I, I, I don't think meron talagang particular people that you want to raise here kasi ang daming actors na pwede niyo pasok. But generally, those are the actors I could think of right now and the actors that I feel like intuitively debaters would like argue for or argue against in the motion. So aside from that, what are the other reasons for barring participation of MNCs or just like national corporations in general? Oh, okay. So I think um, you would have to look into the incentive and into the reason why a private sector body would want to like rehabilitate an area versus like a government institution rehabilitate. Those are two different incentives and two different reasons. Multinational and national corporations would generally want to be like um, excluded from the tax or would want to have some political favors from politicians that are there or they would want to like make that area into a profitable area so that they could make business. But um, as compared to government institutions that they really don't have any interest in making the area profitable. They just want people to get their houses and their, their medicines and their hospitals and their schools and their textbooks or whatever after disaster so that life can like continuously move on or they could win the next elections. So like that big incentive from those corporations really affect the way that the layout and the master plan for the rehabilitation looks like. So one case in point here would be like so Yolanda, what they did in some towns in, in that were affected in Tacloban, for example, they, they gave them like free, they gave them a barangay hall, they gave them like basketball courts and schools in exchange that they would have to like really make one area that used to be a farming community into a beach resort. So the way that the power asymmetry between the LGU and the national corporations really makes the deal sketchy and it makes it difficult for LGUs and for the people who are desperate for help to fight back because they would need the Barangay Hall um, ASAP or they need to have schools ASAP because so they could like send their kids already to school. So like that's a very big reason to like bar them from participating because once that you set up those resorts, it would be very difficult to like really take them out. Or it would be very difficult for local politicians to like independently act already if they are um, reliant or like they're dependent on these national and multinational corporations. So I think that that's one big reason as to why uh, they should be barred. But also aside from that, their layouts might look like putting up manufacturing sectors in these areas that used to be ancestral domain or like putting up these areas in, in areas as 
let's say a mall, but these people don't really want that, but they have no um they have no choice because they need jobs, they need money, they need income, they need to like construct something so that they could feed their family. So it really puts desperate people at the losing end and they're forced to just say yes to this. Okay, so most of these harms um, are rooted in the assumption that corporations are pro- profit motivated. So I think that is something that even opposition this motion will have to agree with that they're not absolutely altruistic. They are to a large degree profit motivated. Um, so I was wondering how do you expect opposition to nevertheless defend their participation um, and the rehabilitation of these post-disaster areas, even if they were profit-oriented? Oh, all right. So I would say is that, you know, it's it's good that we have a lot of people helping and a lot of sectors helping because that really fulfills a lot of, of the the responsibilities that the government is supposed to do, but they can't do because of fiscal limitations. And the context can be here is that, you know, we are like the second or like in the top 10 countries who are most likely to be like hit by climate crisis, um, disasters and calamities. So I think that you would want to have more and more people helping while you are also trying to balance your books and balance the funding you have for all of the agencies that you have as a government. So it's important to have multinational and national corporations participating because, you know, one thing that I think opposition could play participation can be like, you know, CSR. You have their Ayala Foundation give out books, give out food there. So don't you want them participating in the process? So because to while we might not like like them at all because we don't know what their incentives are, but at least you um, allow the government to revert or put funding in areas that though that are really needed. So let's say Ayala might want to build a barangay hall there. They might want to build a beach resort there. They want to build a mall there. That's totally fine because you stimulate the economy that was destroyed because of the typhoon. So as the government, I would be focused more on building, like, let's say, um, hospitals. I would be focused on building, like, the police office or, like, the police station. I would be focused more on building roads because those are things that a multinational corporation doesn't want to do because what would they get out of that? Or they would just, like, um, you know, like, these corporations would provide a lot of skills and expertise as well for governments, which happened then in Yolanda. A lot of, of people from Ayala and SM were able to give their expertise on how they could rehabilitate the, the economy and the community and give them livelihood programs. So if we bar these people, the only responsibility, that, the, the only sectors that will bear the responsibility will be the NGOs, the government, the church. So these are sectors that have really unstable funding. So let's say NGOs, they would have to rely on international donors. Um, the government has to rely on a very limited budget, while the church has to rely on the benevolence of, of their donors. While multinational corporations, national corporations, they would just give that money and hand whatever you guys need, as long as they also have something in exchange. So I think that uh, allows um, the government and other sectors to somehow work in collaboration with other sectors and really takes away the burden that is very, very heavy for uh, sector when a uh, super typhoon hits them. 
I guess that wraps up our discussion of the three motions. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to really explain the arguments. Um, I think that this would be valuable for people who ended up debating these motions, regardless of what motion they debated. I'm pretty sure, um, hopefully, they listened to the other ones as well. Um, but before we end this episode, I guess I have one last question. And this is a question we asked all of our other guests. Um, what advice or nuggets of knowledge would you like to pass down to younger and newer debaters who are starting out their debate journeys? Uh, I think the younger and newer debaters are the luckier position because debate, uh, the debate community right now is a lot more, um, a lot kinder. So they are in a very, very good position for them to like really develop and grow as debaters. So as early as now, you know, if there are four debate tourni- tournaments in a month, and which I feel like older debaters are doing, we debate all of those tournaments because, you know, at least now you have time to all to do all of these things as compared to like doing it a little later in college or a little later in life where you have a lot of responsibilities. So as early as now, um, just continue debating and even if you fail, that's totally fine. At least, you know, you know where you were wrong and how you can, like, improve. As compared to, like, you know, like, not doing it at all because you're scared to speak um, in front of people or you're scared to, like, give an oral adjudication. So as early as now, I would suggest, like, exploit the fact that you are in a very somewhat relatively healthier community when it comes to growth and um, and and wisdom and stuff like that and to always ask comments whether you're like a newbie debater or just like a trainee asking people for comments um, really helps you also develop so i think that's the the advice that i would give them right now just like spend your youth doing debate i mean like it really pays off later it's a pretty expensive investment but it's something that really helps you become a better person later on in life Thank you. Uh, I like your answer because I agree with all of it. I agree <laughs> um, that the debate community is much nicer now. And I also yeah. agree that it's very expensive. But you got to admit, since everything went online, everything got cheaper, no? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah, I, I find myself. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get to compete in other countries um, when before you'd need like a visa and stuff. And now I'm yeah. like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Like, I see Albert all over the place also. Like, whatever yeah. tournament I'm in, chances are Albert's there as well. <laughs> so take and advantage. Then, yeah, and but also, but like, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to like... There are debaters. I I, I admire them. There are debaters um, that really go to tournaments in a weekend. They go to three tournaments and I'm like, how do you guys do that? But it, I think they can do that because their stamina is really good. But if you're a newbie debater, don't exhaust yourself in that way. Like, take baby steps. Yun. So, yeah. Um, I hope that online tournaments somehow uh, become an option later on so that it becomes accessible to people in the third world who can't really afford a visa or like a bank account to show. Don't have show money. It's so expensive. Yeah, true. So we got sidetracked, uh, Albert. Oh, so thank you again yeah. for <laughs> thank you again for appearing thank in you. our thank episode. You guys.
Um, thank you for all your insights. And thank you, thank you again for these wonderful motions. Um, I enjoyed reading through them. I hope debaters enjoyed debating them. And I hope they enjoyed listening to our breakdown of these motions as well. So that's it for this episode of Debatable. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.